the future, I'm here to tell you, if you let Jesus transform your life, he's going to want to work through you to touch other people's lives. Because that's what God has always done. I mean, think about it. The apostles, when they were invited by Jesus to follow him, they had no clue what the future held. Right? But now, thousands of years later, we read their letters, their stories, read stories about their lives. They poured into people. Each day, you have an opportunity to live for Jesus. You can choose to love people as He does, as He loves you. But the choice is always yours. Pastor Daniel will be encouraging you today to make positive steps toward the future by focusing on what you can do right now for the Lord. There's plenty to do right now. You don't have to wait to serve Him. Just look around you today and ask the Lord to use you to bless others. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jeremiah chapter 29 as he continues his message, Our Future. The Bible talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And when they would build structures back in the day, the entire foundation was built around this one corner piece. The corner piece had to be perfect and everything was, was squared up because of its being built upon and around the chief cornerstone. And so we want your life. I want my life. You should want your life. And we as a church, this church is built upon Jesus. And you have to ask yourself right now, are you building right now your life upon Jesus? Or are you building it upon other things? And let's like... I've been around the block. I'm, I, I, even in my time walking with Jesus, I would never say, hey, I always built my life on Jesus. I got, I've gotten sidetracked by everything and its mom, you know, as the saying goes. You know, like I remember when I started to work on our family finances very quick, I'm like, oh, I got, I'm taking this out of the authority of Jesus. This is a problem. You know, when you have these things and this thing and you got this thing going on. And it's like, it's so easy to take other things and try to build your life around that. Many of you know what it's like because when maybe a significant other comes in your life and before you know it, they're more important than Jesus, right? And, and like, and that is one of the, one of the ways that we start building our lives around other things. So we want to build our lives on Jesus, who he is. Now from there, and if you've been around crosses at all, we talk about this all the time. You and I, we live upward, inward, and outward. We live upward, inward, and outward. We believe that this concept is absolutely essential because Jesus said it's the most important thing. The whole upward, inward, and outward concept, we get right out of Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, where it says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. 
So they came to Jesus. They wanted him to do all of the law of Moses, all 613 commandments down to just one. And Jesus is like, hey, I'll give you two. And first he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? That's upward. That's us in the totality of who we are loving God. Right? So we live upward. And then he says, the second is like it. And he quotes Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you love your neighbor. That's outward as you love yourself, which is inward. And we are aware of the fact that God is inviting each one of us to live upward, inward, and outward. Now, just the way right now we're building our lives upon Jesus, and we know our future should be built upon Jesus and who he is, what I can tell you is that if you're building your life upon Jesus now and it's into the future, then every single day of your life, you are living upward, inward, and outward. Now, I did write that book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, and I, and I unpack, like, hey, what does it look like to cultivate upward, inward, and outward living at all times? But here's what I want to tell you. If you haven't noticed... Who we are as a church is also completely built upward, inward, and outward. Why? Because Jesus is real. That's upward. We're a family of faith fully engaged as a church. That's inward. That's us as a church family. We're all a family, and we're a family together, and we're all involved, and then we're outward transforming our community and our world. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You want to make sure you're simultaneously living upward, inward, and outward, and it's in that order of priority. Most of our struggles become when we take the upward, inward, and outward framework and we mix up the order, right? Like, like let, let me give you an example. Many of you know what this is like. You start living outward, so you're, 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 you're expending a lot of energy to help a lot of people, but you're not living upward and, getting, and having your relationship with Jesus solid. And what happens? You get burned out. You get frustrated. You get in a fight with those people. That's what happens. Why? Because you're living outward before you're first living upward. Or what is the common mistake of this generation is everything's about the individual. So everyone's living inward. It's like, oh, no, this is for me. I need to take care of myself. And what we, we have such an, ex, like, our culture is so pervasively self-centered that you actually can't even talk about inward living without everyone being like, you're not supposed to talk like that. But here's the deal. You are supposed to live inward, just not primarily. You're supposed to live upward first because the only way we can truly love ourselves as Jesus is talking about is first to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you live inward without first living upward, now you're the center of the solar system. And I know it's very sad when everyone else doesn't revolve around you. That's the common struggle in relationships today. Everybody thinks I'm the center, everybody exists, and my gravity keeps everything together. No, and what happens is, is many people right now are destroying their lives because they're focused inward primarily. It's them first. And then when you get inward, if you do inward, then upward, it's all jacked up because God drives our identity. So the key is to keep it in the right order. Upward drives the inward. The inward drives the outward. There's no such thing as loving yourself apart from knowing the love of God. When you love yourself apart from the love of God, you have self-idolatry, really. It's self-love apart from Jesus is idolatry. So you have to make sure you get the order right, upward, inward, and outward. Now, here's what I want to tell you. No matter how long you're on the globe, every single day you get to live upward, inward, and outward. And really the key is to let God's love reach us. We love him because he first loved us. We respond to God's love by giving him love back. And out of the overflow of that love, now we begin to see ourselves through the lens of the cross. And we love ourselves both in our the fact that we're creating God's image and likeness and we're also flawed, which we also see because 
Our love of God teaches us, oh yeah, when I'm looking into the eyes of the perfect God, I got all sorts of issues. And then out of the overflow of that, now all of a sudden we can move out into the world energized by God's love for the world, not just our own, tapped into God's strength and his passion for the world. And now all of a sudden we can live outward, but we're not ever just living outward in totality because the upward and the inward starts to drive the outward. And in a lot of ways for the person who simply responds to Jesus, you're constantly being invited into the upward, inward, and outward relationship. Like we get to live in love in three directions. That's how I like to say it. And the key for us right now, if we're building our lives on Jesus, what we're saying is we have to make sure the upward is rock solid, right? And let the upward drive the inward. And then as we grow and as we mature, that relationship, that upward, inward, and outward reality will always be happening. And that's what our future will hold. See, I realize I don't know what the decade of the 20s is going to be. I don't know what if, if I make it into the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. I don't know what it's going to hold. But I do know if I build my, house, my, my life on Jesus, I do know I'll be living upward, inward, and outward. Because every single day is a day to simply respond to Jesus and love God and let God show me who I am and then to be salt and light in the community. Now, one of the things else you need to know about your future, I need to know about my future, is that we have to remember that we're better together. We have to remember that we are better together. And what I mean by that is, remember I said earlier how our culture is so radically self-focused? The big lie that everyone is buying is that you're actually, you don't need anybody. And I'm here to tell you, that's totally wrong. You need lots of people. And what happens is it's in our self-centeredness, what we have a tendency to do is separate us from the people who we need the most because we find the friction of discipleship to be so challenging. Me and my bride, Lynn, always talk about this. And, and it's funny that each one of us, we're each other's sandpaper from the Lord. And God wanting to do that work of refining, of renewing, of restoring, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And oftentimes God will use the people closest to us as the high friction areas. Right? Me and Lynn always talk about that, that when God is using one of our characters to reveal one of our character flaws, it's not fun. Nobody enjoys that. I mean, he's constantly just realizing, oh man, this is a rough spot. It's a growing edge. But when you realize that really what God is interested in is bearing the fruit that he wants to bear in our life, that God is not done with any of us yet, that we're all in process, that sandpaper is essential. I remember when I saw a house being built and they were, you know, they put up all the sheetrock on the wall. So you have the framing. And of course, then they go and they mud over it, but they don't just paint over it. Right. Then you have to sand the whole thing down. Now, of course, you know, they use a lot of texture on the walls now to be able to kind of cover up some of the impurities. But you still need to sand up over all the places where the tape is or else you have these big globs of you know, of the tape and of the joint compound and all the different things that they're using. And in a lot of ways, we're better together because as the body of Christ, one of us does not fulfill everything, but all of us together with Jesus as the head, now we're the church and we all have a work of purifying one another in the journey. And so I want you to remember that sometimes the people closest to you are also the hardest people to be around because they know you the best. They see you the most purely and truly, right? Because not everybody, see, you know, you, you put out your public face for everybody, but then there are people who know who you really are, 
right? The people who see you without the airbrush picture, you know, the, the ones who, you know, people post on social media, they put their, their favorite pictures up there. But there are people who see your not favorite pictures, right? They know you that way. And we have to remember that we're better together. One of the things that I am constantly watching is I'm watching how the enemy likes to try and pull people apart. And some of the things, like, listen, the body of Christ is big and vast, but some of it is just straight up demonic. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy our intimacy with God and with other people. I have to constantly remind myself in an individualistic culture, I'm better with other people around than I am on my own. Because if left up to my own devices, I'm going to say, actually, I'm pretty good on my own. And of course, the book of Acts talks about this. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. says, now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, I think this is so beautiful because really what you find is that there's this group of people now, because of the work of the Spirit, because of who Jesus is, that they're together and they have one heart and one soul and they care about one another as if they're themselves. They're esteeming each other as high as they esteem themselves. That everybody would just take, like, they're like, yeah, this isn't mine, this is ours. You know, and what's amazing, and there's no legislation, because when you read some of that stuff, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, this is why the Bible is pro-communism or this thing. No. The Spirit of God was doing a work in people's lives. This was not legislated. They just saw themselves differently. And and in so many ways, because they function differently, many people would tell you, when you read these accounts of the early church and the book of Acts and chapters 2 and chapter chapter 4, that they were actually embodying what the Greeks believed to be the utopian society. Like, If society really worked the way it was supposed to, if people really lived the way our highest ideals called us to, there would be nobody in need because everyone would take care of one another. They would would share a heart and a soul. They would see each other not as someone distant, but now all of a sudden there's this compassion, there's this love, this brotherly love and kindness that would be there that we would go just take care of one another. And the early church was like that. And, And the apostles were sharing testimony Because God had equipped them to do that, you know, and God was doing an amazing work. And we have to remember that we're better together. And I bring that up because I know right now in some of your hearts, you're trying to figure out how do I eject from my family? How, you know, maybe there's a situation going on, and I've seen this a lot, where there's hard situations going on, and God is actually using the people of God to keep you in a place you don't want to be because you actually need to be there, but you want to be somewhere else. And then people get mad at the church for being, oh, they're judgmental, they're legalistic. It's like, actually, no, like, you're not supposed to divorce your spouse right now. I know you don't get along, but maybe you need to change and they need to change and you'll never see what God wants to do if you reject from that thing, right? I've had that. I've had people like, man, I just, you know, Fusco told me I shouldn't get a divorce and I want a divorce. It's like, well, listen, I know marriage is, listen, marriage is not easy. It's not easy. You're a sinner, they're a sinner, you snuggle together, two porcupines. It's hard, man. And even when both people love Jesus, it's still hard because people are people. But listen, I'm here to tell you, all the research, you can go Google it. Five years after couples get divorced, for couples who at the same, five years later, chose to stay together, the happiness quotients, 
People who got divorced said, huge rates, I think it's like 70-something percent said, I shouldn't have gotten a divorce. Because what you think, you're like, good old, that Rastafarian theologian, Bob Marley said, you keep a running and a running and a running, but you can't run away from yourself. You're still there. And really what God wants to do is he wants to change us. And he does it always in community. And one of the things that I love so much is, you know, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29. He's not talking about just individual children of Israel. He's talking about the whole community. He's like, you're all scattered, all these different places. I'm going to bring you all back. And I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give all of you a future and a hope. And you're all going to call to me and you're all going to pray to me. See, God is always working with people in community. And I believe that in that, in the family of faith that is fully engaged, there is always going to be some friction. That's just part of what it is. Like, I've never thought that the church would be healthy if everybody was just kind of holding hands, singing kumbaya, and there was no friction or tension because you have different giftings, you have different styles, you have all these different things, and they're all coming together, and then you have different perceptions of what it's supposed to be and how it could work, and then you put it all together, and everyone's trying to figure out, like, how is this all going to work? And that's the beauty of what the people of God is. The church is always in the process of growing and reforming, being restored since the book of Acts. But the key is, is to always remember that you're part of something bigger than just yourself. We want to always remember that we are better together. And here at a church family, that's why we want you to simply respond to Jesus in groups. Because we realize that you'll be better with a tribe of people around you. That you will grow more. You will have more opportunities to simply respond to Jesus if you are in a group of people who are all learning and growing together. And we want that for you. And then finally, we always need to remember that we are transformed people who transform people. Now, that's a phrase that I love to use, that transformed people transform people. And I really get that from, you know, it's that last line of our vision as a church, right? That we want to transform our community and our world. And I like to say that transformed people transform people. Really better stated, people who are transformed by Jesus have the ability to let Jesus transform other people through them. That's really how it works. But that's a little bit of a mouthful. So transform people, transform people. And what that means is that we believe that as God is doing a work of transforming our lives, that because of the work he's doing of transforming our lives, there's going to be an opportunity for all of us to be involved in how Jesus wants to transform other people's lives. So again, we don't only see it as ourselves or ourselves in the context of church, but we always see it overflowing out of the doors of the church into the community. And one of the things that I love so much, if you think about 2,000 years of Christianity over different you know, cultures and generations and and different continents and styles is that one thing is the same is that there are always people being born into God's kingdom and there are always people who are going home to the Lord in every generation and in every time but the church the gates of Hades will not prevail against it the church cannot be conquered and so I always think it's interesting that when you read some of the statistics about church going and this and that people are like oh the church is dying I'm like no it ain't it hasn't been Now, don't get me wrong, in different times and seasons, like the church in Europe is smaller than it used to be. The church in America is smaller than it used to be. But the church in other places are bigger than it's ever been. Now, at the same time, 
What you also are seeing, and I think it's very, very fascinating, is that really what you are seeing is that in the Europe and in the U.S., you're seeing a demise of a cultural version of Christianity. It's like when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, all of a sudden everyone became a Christian because that's what everybody in Rome was at the time. And so, But were they really followers of Jesus? Were they really a family of faith fully engaged? Were they just someone who went because that's just what you do? So I actually don't know for sure that even though there might be the number of people attending churches less, I actually don't believe that there's less true believers who Jesus knows because Jesus said just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're really a Christian. But the thing is, is right now you look at the, the church in China is the largest church in the world and they have a couple buildings, but most of it happens outside of buildings. So the, the thing we have to remember is that what is a constant and what will be going on in the future if the Lord tarries is that there will be transformed people who are being transformed by Jesus and Jesus is going to be doing a work through their life and other people are going to be transformed because of the work that Jesus does. And that has always been the story of the people of God, that Jesus transforms people and those people take steps of faith and then God moves through them to touch other people. And there's one thing I know about our future as a church is that God's going to keep transforming people and that those people are going to be vehicles for God's transformation to touch other people. And the beauty of these realities for us is that because of that, I know that God wants to give us all a future and a hope because my Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so when I look at a world where they're like, oh man, there's so, you know, people don't believe in Jesus anymore. And I'm like, hey, my God wants them to believe in Jesus. So Lord, how do we reach them? When I see somebody who's really in a tough spot, I say, oh Lord, you have a plan for them. Lord, how can I be a part of that? How can we as a church family? When I see our culture, no matter what happens in the future for Clark County, Washington, where our physical location is, or whatever community you find yourself in, no matter what happens in the future, I'm here to tell you, if you let Jesus transform your life, he's going to want to work through you to touch other people's lives. Because that's what God has always done. I mean, think about it. The apostles, when they were invited by Jesus to follow him, they had no clue what the future held. Right? But now, thousands of years later, we read their letters, their stories, read stories about their lives. They've poured into people. You read the book of Acts. You, you read the epistles. Before you see it, they're pouring into people, pouring into people. You read church history. You see, oh, there, it's getting poured in down, getting poured down, getting poured in. People are being touched. People are being changed. People are being transformed. They're impacting their community. A revival breaks out. And then this thing goes. And I'm here to tell you that what is absolutely true about your future and my future is that if Jesus is continually transforming your life, he's going to transform other people through your life. Because the fruit that he bears in your life is not for you, but it's for other people. And what's beautiful about God's work of restoration is God does a work of restoration so that he can write a story that has a future to it. Jesus is real. What a profound thought. The fruit that Jesus bears in your life when you follow him fully isn't for you. Pastor Daniel shared today that it's for others. Your life is meant to bless other people. That's why community and interactions are so important. Pastor Daniel reminded you of the need for people to connect with one another and why we need to allow God to be at the center of it. 
Let him guide your interactions and grow your faith. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this series called Restoration. You learned that God wants to do big things in your life this year. Pastor Daniel shared that God longs to transform your life from the inside out as you simply respond to Jesus. And because Jesus is real, you can be fully invested in what he's doing in the world. When you live a devotional, relational, missional, and reproducible life, God will do big things. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.